0: Welcome to Commerce Talks, episode number 58. Today my guest is Richard McKenzie, Chief Commercial Officer from Ocado Solutions. We are talking about the grocery delivery business in UK And in the world, Okado solution is now helping many other retailers, not only Okado, to actually get to a high level of grocery delivery. Most of the German customers could learn how not to do it with the Rewe delivery solutions, the Rewe online shop. And we are talking with uh, Richard about the challenges of building such a solution, why, why it is so important to own such a solution, why Okado is so many years ahead and what kind of companies are integrating it uh, right now and the solution itself is not just software it's services logistics and all the other stuff that comes with it so it's a very interesting episode for all the people that are working in the grocery business in the grocery delivery business and of course we are talking about gorillas sketeer and the others and discuss how their place will look like in five to ten years from now. So enjoy the episode with Richard (music) McKenzie. Richard, welcome to the Commerce Talks uh, podcast. Maybe also to the Custom Tuner podcast. Depends a little bit how it goes uh, today. We are we are talking about Ocado, uh, one of the uh, most admired business models on the European continent, especially when you are looking uh, to it from a, uh, from a grocery retailer. Uh, perspective today uh, we're going to discuss um, actually why the uh, uk market especially um, due to Okado is so much advanced compared to other european uh, uh, markets um, how how do you still um, uh, take care to grow even like on the high very high basis you have achieved? already, uh, what kind of challenges uh, you had to solve during uh, COVID and many other stuff like your software business, the solution business, uh, we will try to tap um, into. So welcome to our podcast. And now the words over to you, please introduce yourself and tell us the truth uh, and maybe uh, give some give some background about Ocon.
1: Look, thank you. It's 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 actually genuine. I really like talking about Acado. I'm going to start here, so it is genuinely a pleasure to be here. Um, The story and the business model is, for my mind, fascinating. I've been here two years. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer of Acado Solutions. Um, uh, That's as you were putting it, the software business. Although it's it goes a lot broader than software. You know, we're the guys who take our platform. And work with partners internationally, trying to make them successful. Um, so for us, it's a kind of it's a it's the beginning of a journey. We've been successful in the UK, but our journey now is kind of with our ten partners, and hopefully, many more to come.
0: Okay, and can you can you uh, um, tell us a little bit more about Okado for the ones that don't know uh, the brand and the services Okado is is offering? So usually, we're describing it. It's a uh, it's groceries. Online, but then depending on what in what country you're living in, you have a very you you have a very different picture about uh, the grocery uh, assortment there.
1: Yeah, of course. So, Accardo started 21 years ago now, um, and it was three guys, and they had a, actually um, who were working together at Goldman Sachs at the time, and they had an idea that they just wanted to um, build a great online grocer. Um, and it was quite a simple insight, which is if you take the store out of the way, you can deliver groceries to a customer pretty efficiently because stores are never really designed to um, to be a fulfillment method. Um, now, they started that journey and they worked extremely hard buying third party kit, buying third party bits of software, trying to stitch it together to create that compelling offer. Um, and what became more and more apparent over time was You couldn't actually go and buy the kit to make this work, Um, or rather it was extremely difficult to buy the kit. Most software was designed for non-food, and most of the um, warehouse equipment really wasn't designed for doing the single pick and um, fulfilling e-commerce grocery orders efficiently. So there was a 15-year journey from that where Ocado started to develop its own technology. And as it developed its own technology, the proposition to the British consumer got better and better. So Ricardo's always said, what are the most important things to a customer? Well, it's that you get what you order. A grocery basket very complicated. You know, it's multiple items. It's chilled, chilled items, ambient items, frozen items. You get what they order. They come in good quality. And we're going to make sure we offer a wider range than you can offer in any supermarket. And essentially, by the time you've got efficient fulfillment, which is highly accurate, and the widest range and fresh product, you've got something that's, that's winning in the market. And that's and the system was designed to be able to do that efficiently. And we went through this journey where we built that equipment. Um, and we ended up, and we ended up with something which we now call Ocado Smart Platform, which essentially is an end-to-end platform for grocery e-commerce, and that's now what powers our ten partners internationally. Um, and actually, that's how we transformed ourselves now, because the grocery business, the, the Ocado.com, is now a joint venture with Marks and Spencers, and actually the majority of the business is now. In our platform business, which is called Ocado Solutions, Um, and that's actually the kind of now the biggest bit, and by far the biggest bit in terms of valuation of Ocado. So we have those two distinct businesses: the original pure pure pure-play grocery online, and then the and then the solutions business um, around the, which is effectively partnering using our technology.
0: In the and uh, the grocery business online that is like roughly two billion pounds annually, or now growing to like I don't know two, two and yeah, and a half it's billion. Yeah, like,
1: exactly. It's getting on a bit. It's a bit more than two billion now.
0: Okay, and uh, and you're saying the solutions business is already like the bigger part um, of it. We will we we will talk about what kind of solutions you're uh, you're offering. Uh, and you said it's ten partners. Does it mean it's ten customers are using the Okado platform, or, or what is a partner? In your
1: own- so in, in my mind, acardo.com is one of our partners. So mm-hmm. that's the, the which is probably is just the original one. So the model we follow is we charge fees to acardo.com in the same way, and which as it's a joint venture, it has to be done at an arm's length basis. Um, and in the same way, we charge fees to um, to Casino in France, to Sobeys in Canada, and so on. So we've and we've got ten of these retail partners, which are typically. Very big retailers in some of the larger markets around the world,
0: and and those retailers. Uh, I mean, do you have retailers in uh, in Germany too that are using the platform yet? Not yet. Okay, and and uh, so those retailers um, are using what exactly? Only a software part, or are you building fulfillment centers, or is there like picking devices you're selling uh, um, to them? So w- what what is included in the solutions um, offering?
1: So. It's a, it's quite important from an Ocado point of view. We really strongly believe in the end-to-end nature of the system and the end-to-end nature of the platform. Um, and just to, to give you a little example, you know, if you order your tomatoes, you want to know that though that when you click that you want these particular type of tomatoes, you want to know that one they're fresh, and two that you'll they'll actually turn up on your doorstep. We can do that. We believe better than anybody else, because we know exactly what's in the warehouse at the tire at the at the time your order is going to be delivered. So it's super important for us that the front end can talk to the fulfillment. And then it's super important that we know exactly where the vans are and how and then they can be routed to make sure that you're being it's being delivered on time to you. So all of our partners are taking a integrated integrated um solution. Now some are doing some are they're doing it in slightly different ways, but all of them are taking fulfilment last mile. And we've actually got this this integrated model, where you've got this highly accurate fulfilment fulfilment in the highly accurate and highly efficient fulfilment in the middle, which powers everything. Um, which powers everything end to end. And actually, for us, that's really important. So when I talk about you know, taking our last partner, um, who we just signed recently in Spain, Alcampo. No, they will be going they'll be they will be migrating their front end onto osp they'll be building a cfc in madrid and then their and their vans um, will be be routed by osp as well at the same time they for the parts of spain that can't be served from the cfc they'll be converting their in-store fulfillment to um to um, osp in-store fulfillment so it really is a kind of it's an end to end platform that we're offering
0: Okay, got it. So, but but then I, I want to ask you a question. So, I understand uh, um, that those partners usually don't have the capacity to build it on their own, or it's too late, too expensive, whatever. Because they would have to replicate the whole—I don't know—thousands and thousands of uh, man in software development and uh, and, le- and replicate the learning curve. But uh, uh, and, and those partners now, for example, iCampo will differentiate their offering for the customer now with your technology being. Better than whatever other partner there is in uh, other supermarket there is in Spain, being better in the online experience, being better in predicting what's uh, in the warehouse or or in the stores for the market that are um, still serving as fulfillment uh, um, centers. Where my where my cars are? Um, is is it working that way? That only like one. Uh, grocer per market should you then your approach because if like two or three are doing it where's the differentiation
1: so look we, we've we've always ended up in a place in most of our in most of our markets where we've ended up um mutually exclusive um so there are obviously a couple of a couple of exceptions to that in the UK we work with morrisons and acardo.com um actually in spain we work with a regional grocer bon pro as well as working with alcampo so there are obviously there are some exceptions to that um once we've st- we've never actually gone into our negotiations planning to be exclusive but our partners have seen us as a route to competitive advantage um so we've ended up with and it's fairly public um in a, in a position where, assuming they hit certain, our partners hit certain targets in terms of growth, we're and using our equipment and our platform, we're prepared to stay exclusive with them because exactly as you say, they're seeing this as part of their competitive. They're seeing this as part of their competitive advantage.
0: Okay, and um h- how do you evaluate then all the new delivery initiatives we see now uh, uh, in Europe and in the US, especially those. Um, in in germany we call them ultra fast delivery mm-hmm. services uh, gorillas geter fling wheezy and others so um is that something you can see in the future could be could be connected to your platform too because then uh, uh, um, then i don't know a gorillas fulfillment whatever picks from a picks from us from an, a campus store in uh, uh in spain delivers like in 10 minutes, whereas like your service if i understand it correctly still is like uh um, order today get it delivered tomorrow kind of approach
1: so uh, I, gonna, there's, there's a few there's a few things under that question so let me kind of take a few of them in order so our, our vision is to create the best online platform to serve grocery retailers so within that we absolutely are developing and you know that we've got a business called zoom in london which you may you may know about which delivers within one hour so within that we are absolutely delivering capabilities to serve immediacy um and we think that is we do think that is going to be part of the market um now just i think you started with kind of what do i think of it um i see if you think of how grocery developed as a whole it kind of started well, when supermarkets developed, and then hypermarkets developed, and over time, actually, offline retail started to segment, and eventually, you got convenience stores. Um, convenience stores charged a premium for being convenient, just as they said on the tin. But they were always about, you know, depending on the market, say maybe ten percent of the market. Um, And what what was the trade-off there? Well, they they had a higher price, but they were close. They had a narrower range, but they were close to you. And they were typically open longer hours. And they charged you that price premium in the UK was around 5% um, for doing that. If you now look at these, we call them Q-commerce players. um, If you look at these Q-commerce players, they're actually offering an extremely narrow um, range. So you're talking of hundreds of SKUs, Whereas Ocado.com is offering, you know, forty thousand plus, you know, most of our partners are using our uh, using our equipment to offer the widest range in the market. Um, and then they're so they're offering a very narrow range, and they're asking a very very high price premium. So you know, we did some benchmarks in London, which I think are pretty representative. And if you looked across the gorillas and getty's in London, you know, we think they're probably charging a price premium of about. 20, 30%. So you've got this thing which is narrow range, high price premium. Now, if you look at what if you then sort of take the parallel to the offline market, that says actually you're going to be pretty niche. Now, can that be quite a good niche? Can that be quite a can that be quite a profitable niche? Maybe. Absolutely. But I think you know, in our mind, you're never going to be replacing the bulk of the grocery market, which has always been about range price um, and accuracy um, so I might say that to our mind that's super important and um, there's one thing I do want to just pick up as you said you said our you know, our platform and is typically used for next day delivery there's actually nothing in our platform that stops us doing same day delivery um it's actually typically in the UK we just don't reserve slots and typically the slots are sold out but that's more of a decision we choose to make that the slots are not reserved so you can do same day delivery um it absolutely can be done on the in the same day through our platform. Um but just going back, to my mind, you know, the QCommerce, very interesting model, um, but likely to be quite a to my mind, quite a small part of the um small part of the overall online grocery market.
0: Okay. Uh, I, I believe that. So and, and 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 I and I share I share your concerns here, but like when you're in their investor stacks, they're describing themselves obviously not as a e-commerce player in the future, but rather logistics network. Say okay, with uh, uh with, they're gonna start with like grocery delivery, but uh, by building more um, capabilities and building a better, um, building better uh, um, connections to I don't know pharmacies, drugstores, mm-hmm. whatever they will be able to deliver whatever you want to get delivered uh, within 10 minutes uh, or you know, 50 minutes. I think is, is, is a threshold in, in Berlin right now. Some are able to do it like within five or six minutes mm-hmm. in, in the optimal uh, um, yeah. cases. And I, I I would, I would understand your business that it also can develop into a logistics network. So much more than just delivering groceries. If you have all this vans uh, uh, um, around, then obviously um, other retailers or other vendors would like to use this logistics infrastructure, though eventually there is kind of a uh, uh, um, yeah, kind of a competition on the horizon. It's not there yet, and yes, it's a niche, and yes, it's not vans but bikes mm-hmm. uh, uh, but but I still see an, an overlap, and um it's very hard to. Um, come to a, a, a common conclusion here because there's definitely very intense discussions obviously also uh, also in london uh, uh, not not just in not just in berlin that's why i wanted to get your uh, your view from like a today's perspective
1: yeah and you know, as i said our our vision is to create the best platform for grocery retailers um mm. and absolutely you know we that will include the ability to do immediate delivery Mm-hmm. um you know as I, at the moment that's being done through this zoom facility in the in the uk that does that offers you about ten thousand SKUs. it's a much much it's a much lower price premium than than what i've been talking about there so it's high it's a highly competitive price um and you know the average delivery time is about 40 minutes um so to our mind that's done very well that's if you actually look at the share in the catchment it's it's operating in in London. That's doing extremely well. Now, could you see that extending into other services in the future, as you're suggesting? Absolutely. Um, I certainly wouldn't rule that out. I just would go back to you know, what's been the dominant model in grocery for the last 50 years. It's always been the ability to offer the full shop. And that's also been where the profit is. And large scale distribution centers, such as our CFCs, are by far the most efficient bar none way of, of fulfilling those orders um, and then the ability to get a van that does that drops 20 large orders is again the far by far the most efficient way of doing that last mile so for us that is the winning economic model
0: okay the way you're describing q-commerce as a niche maybe a good and profitable niche most um, brick and mortar retail managers would describe Online groceries as a new. So say (laughs) yes, uh, it's coming. Yeah, we are seeing it since years, and we saw Ocado in UK, and we saw Revo online in in, in Germany. But you know, I don't believe it's gonna hit like ten percent or more. And there's like, uh, uh, we should definitely focus on the uh, in-store experience, which which will be even like in ten years from now more than eighty percent. of the market, and because of that, uh, I don't need to invest into solutions uh, like yours or uh, in other in other solutions. So, what is your take on the threshold of um, online grocery uh, on the online grocery uh, uh, market, especially like from your perspective? Because. In the European Union, I think the UK is by far the most advanced market when it comes to online uh, grocery. From a German perspective, I think we're st- still below 2% uh, mm-hmm. from the overall market. So uh, what do you answer those managers?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say is you would have got the same answer 15 years ago in the UK, and it, it was clear, it clearly would have been the wrong call. Um, and I think what COVID has done, it's shown that most people, um, if you look at the surveys, most people have trialed online e-commerce for grocery um, during during COVID. So it's clearly the case that most people are willing to give it a go. And the surveys are also saying that the majority of people will continue to have that as part of their repertoire. So there's clearly there clearly has been a shift in um, in online behaviour behavior and attitudes towards online during COVID. The story I believe is that this has been a this has been a market that has been supply constrained for years Um, and i if you look at i find the u.s instructive because up until the point when amazon bought whole foods the u.s market share looked a bit like germany now actually there was it was pretty low Um, and the reason for that was that no major grocer was really investing in it um, and was really trying to offer the customers that great proposition. When Amazon bought Whole Foods, you actually ended up with a significant degree of investment being made, um, and that's the, that was the turning point in the market. Um, and if you look at it now, um, you was, you've got major grocers in the US talking publicly that they think you'll get twenty percent of the market going online. Um, and, and this is when- in kind of five ten years time. We're talking you know in our in our meaningful lifetimes in the working lifetimes of these managers <laughs> um, you know the, the, and you know if you look at the investment the croak investments the Kroger are making with us you know you've got they are making significant, they're making significant investments to go and win in this marketplace. This is not this is not a this is not a little niche that they're going after. Um, and and as I say you go back to pre Amazon Whole Foods, it looked it Actually, the numbers look pretty like Germany. Actually, there has been a divergence since then. Um you know, look at the UK. The UK post-COVID is still probably running at about 13, 14% online. Um, you know, I've you know, you then and I know the markets are different for different for different reasons, but you've got sensible projections in Asia where people are talking about China getting to 50% online, South Korea is running at over 25 25 26 percent online currently now you know china is probably higher because offline retail was pretty awful beforehand and therefore kind of customers have shifted more easily um and you know korea has always been keener to adopt tech but those are those are numbers where people you know that 25 percent in korea is a number that is still growing rapidly that's not something where we've seen where you're seeing you're seeing a, a ceiling so our view is if you know if you can crack it and you can get that the proposition that works for a customer, you know, and I'll and I'll go back to you know getting higher, getting excellent fresh product, getting it to the doorstep in a way that's accurate, it comes on time, the delivery price is reasonable, and um, and the pricing of the product is is good. There's no you, there's no fundamental barrier to why people are not going to want this um this service that's fundamentally more convenient
0: mm, okay yeah got, got it i believe it's so so i think it's a good uh, it's a good ballpark to say 5 to 10 years to get like to a decent 10 to 20 um percent but do you have any pr- prediction for uh uh for the for the infrastructure or for the, um, yeah, let's say the infrastructure of brick and mortar retailers, because today they own hundred percent of the market in Jimmy, more or less 98%. And they need all this revenue actually to, uh, to pay the rent and to pay the personnel and actually to explain that they have so many stores. So in, in the UK market, have you seen then? uh, um, um, smaller stores or were stores closed uh, on the brick and mortar side so how how will it play out on the brick and mortar side when online uh, will be responsible for 10 12 30% of the overall grocery re- revenue
1: so you clearly have seen a slowdown and in places a uh, reversal in terms of store rollouts and you've seen and you've actually seen you've seen some of the players in the market not opening stores where they've actually almost they've got as far as starting to fit out the stores and they're just starting to see the demand tailing off um i think you you will continue to see that um i think you'll see you know some of the larger stores actually you can turn into reasonable, reasonable scale distribution centers um, so I think there is there is the potential to repurpose some of that. There is the potential to actually downsize the stores. Um, and you, you've actually started to see um, some some of the space getting shared with non-food retail. I think the kind of important thing, though, is for retailers not to kid themselves that somehow by ignoring the costs of doing online out of a store that that's the right way of doing it. So quite a lot of offline retailers still are thinking about it as marginal cost, that somehow the rent is not real, somehow the, somehow the labor for putting the product onto the shelf, they might count the picking, but the product, the labor for putting the product onto the shelf is not real because they're kind of doing it anyway. Um, and they get themselves into a bit of a fallacy of thinking, oh, well, that makes it not too bad and we can kind of, actually, we can defer further, defer future investment. But as you move from two, three, four, five percent of your sales going through this channel to 10, 15%, that becomes a serious economic problem because actually that 10, 15% is not bearing the cost burden. And what you're finding in a lot of cases is that 10, 15% is being driven by professional pickers driving around the store. And that's pissing off the um, the customers who are walking around the store. So you actually get to you can get to a vicious circle. Where the actual the in-store experience goes deteriorates because you've got too much online online getting driven through the store.
0: Would would that also be like your explanation for the rather low takeoff of the Revo online shop experience? Because they have been like the innovator in the market since two thousand twelve, but it never it never really scaled. So the first years they really did their uh, um, did their did a whole lot of the revenue driven by coupons. <laughs> mm-hmm. So get the first uh, 20 euros uh, free on your 100 euro order. Uh, um, and they and they used um, stores as a fulfillment center. Now in I think in Cologne, um, they've opened like one central warehouse. but would you say that using the stores too long as fulfillment centers is one of the main mistakes those retailers are doing when they go online?
1: Look, I, I I don't know the case of Raver very well, so I, I make no comment on anybody specifically. Um, when you're using in-store fulfillment, it's super difficult to get the anything like the accuracy levels mm. that you you do from centralized centralized distribution, and it, it's because you're competing with real customers. So you know you put in your order for tomatoes. Actually, the system has no idea whether those a customer is going to be picking those tomatoes before you. Um, so unless you somehow find a way of reserving stock um, or moving it into a dark store at the back, which then starts to partition inventory and make the scale give you scale, even worse scale disadvantages, um, it's very, it's very, very difficult to do that. It's very to to get that pick accuracy that's important. So it's very common that you know, every basket. That gets delivered to a customer from in-store fulfillment has a has an error in it, um, and it doesn't take long before a customer just goes, "This isn't worth it. I wanted this for convenience, but the convenience aspect's gone because every time yeah. I, every time my plastic bags arrive, there's some there's a problem with them." Yeah. Um, and that, that, I, I, I,
0: I agree. Also, like from a, from my personal shopping experience. So even though like from a statistic view, it's only like let's say um, one out of like twenty items is wrong. Uh, uh, and like the uh, the fulfiller Raven in this case would say that that's cool 19 are correct but your uh, service level expectations from online are so high that you usually don't accept like this one wrong uh, from, wrong yogurt or wrong yeah, uh, no, tomato no, or whatever
1: but there, you know one out of 20 items is pretty you know an average basket in the UK is 50 items 50 that's the 50 is 50 or just just under 50 um, now that's one of 20 is you're pretty much guaranteed there's an error in every basket, so that that is you don't get a perfect order. Um, and that that's the kind of that's the problem with this, you know. And what you what we find is that you know by the time a customer has shopped three times with us, they become very loyal. Um, and there's yeah you know, we've got some public statistics out there on our loyalty, and it's quite it's amazing the lo- loyalty that ricardo.com gets. You just don't get the same effect out of out of in store fulfillment. Um because you just get that the you just the customer just doesn't get the same the the same service level
0: yeah got it so and uh there's one thing I was interested uh with this interview in particular because um uh, I only read it in in in, in media. Uh, um, so during the time of COVID, there must have been like peak demand for your services mm-hmm. as many retailers uh, closed doors or it was limited capacity uh, in store. And and I've read that during peak demand, you reduced the or you limited the basket size so more people could order and not like one person in the street ordered like for everybody uh, in the street. Is this true or is it is, is a miss?
1: Is that, it's absolutely right. You know so. COVID was unprecedented for online retail for many levels, and um, I'd forgotten the exact statistics, but there was a point at which the Prime Minister said uh, during lockdown, if at all possible, um, um, buy your your groceries from an online supermarket. Um, And... We could have sold out weeks of our capacity in the hour that followed. That the demand was absolute. So during that time, yeah, we did have to take some measures that, frankly, you would never imagine to take. So you know, we spent years trying to get people into our shop. Um, incon something inconceivably, we had to had to shut our shop to new customers. So um, we had to limit the basket. We had to limit the to the maximum basket size um and what you were finding actually is people editing the basket actually you were just getting the you couldn't fit all of the product onto a van um just because the basket was getting edited and um to such a, to become so high um and we also took a decision that uh, everybody has a tap in their home so we were going to stop selling water because we wanted to make sure that kind of groceries people needed would get out would get out there and those are just things you just you know if you think of the economics you need to make an online grocery business work you want big basket sizes um it's that's how you make the last mile pay the idea that we were going to limit basket sizes was absolutely was is, is absolutely incredible but that's what we did to make sure we could serve as many customers as possible um but sadly we still had to you know we were still in a place where we were rationing slots um and um, people were celebrating on twitter when they got themselves an a cardo slot
0: Is this still the case sometimes or have you managed it uh, um, that everybody who wants to order uh, now gets a slot?
1: No, so we're back now in kind of growth mode. So actually since that time, we've now opened another three CFCs in the UK. So actually actually now we're back on growth mode. Um, Those CFCs are ramping extremely well. Um, So actually our capacity in the UK is now significantly above where it was 18 months ago.
0: So CFC stands for Central Fulfillment Center customer fulfillment
1: uh, center yeah. Custer, those, okay. those, these are the the robotic warehouses that that you'll recognize from youtube and,
0: and how how many households do you need uh actually to 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 have like a, a productive uh, um, um, modus in such a cfc i'm asking this because um we have this um uh, uh, we have this number like from the picnic business case, and there there are around like 5 Thousand households, they would need uh, in the picnic business to have an operationally successful business for a fulfillment uh, center. I guess with your robotic CFCs, it's it's more households you would need, right?
1: So it, it depends. Um, so we talk about a standard CFC. So when you talk to when you kind of talk to analysts, they'll talk about a standard CFC, which is around kind of four hundred million pounds in sales, mm. slightly more. Now. They can scale down significantly, so we've got ones that are under a third of that. Um, they can also scale up significantly. So actually, the one in Irith in West London is probably over three times that size um, in terms of its total capacity. Um, so there is a there is a very wide range, and frankly, kind of what we always do when we try and plan a network in the UK or with any of our partners is match. The size of the distribution center to the size of the city. So, you know, in Bristol, we're serving a city that is, um, in total, something like—I'll th- have to check the numbers after this <laughs> after this call—but something like four hundred thousand people. It's not a big city um, that is being served by that distribution center.
0: Mm. So, so what is the average like turnover from a brick and mortar supermarket in 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 the UK? Just, I just want to understand. So, how many? Supermarkets, are you not replacing? That's the wrong word, obviously. But uh, what is the capacity like in supermarket uh, terms?
1: I'm going to have to. I can't remember the exact number. So Kroger, who are ordering something like the standard facilities I referred to, have been talking. Have been in the way they talk about this. Have been talking about it that being equivalent to twenty of their large stores. So. Okay, but that's that's, your, a, that's US, US. That's size in the US, is, so it would be US, slightly. Yeah. So an average UK one would be a bit more than that
0: an average uk supermarket would be I so it would
1: be smaller. smaller it would be smaller than that so it be replacing in your world yeah, yeah, yeah. More because than that, more because i heard
0: i get a number from like an edeka Riva kind of thing is like 2 to 3 million max uh, uh so because it's like then depending what size we're talking it's like uh, replacing 100 200 yep. uh um, stores, exactly which is a lot.
1: but i do i i i think it's important to emphasize you know we scale down to as i say kind of a third of that number we scale up significantly as well so it's not this isn't what we don't do is is not a one size fits all we no. um, we work on a modular basis and actually we charge our partners for the capacity they draw down not for the end capacity of the distribution center no. so um it is not the case that kind of we that standard is what we put into every every city Actually, yeah. we build them to the needs of that city.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, get it. Here on Google, I say Bristol population is uh, 470,000.
1: Okay. I wasn't far off.
0: No, ballpark was, uh, ballpark was correct. So I would have like many, many, many more questions, uh, about, about the business. So I, I guess we're going to record like a second, um, episode if, uh, if possible. I'm del- if if you if you'll have me again, I'm delighted. Yeah, but We both have had a hard stop here. So it's, it's super tra- interesting to, to, uh, to get your, um, understanding where the ceiling might be in online grocery. So, My opinion is there is no ceiling, so it's. uh, (laughs) We 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 agree on that
1: one. The main thing is getting a model that works.
0: Yeah, Uh, uh, um, we see some more global adoption for online grocery, uh, 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 mainly driven due to the COVID um, effects. Now, even the retailers that uh, uh, never touched like online as a channel, like grocery retailers, are now looking into um, solutions, Uh, uh, and we're going to see more and more like Ocado cases uh uh worldwide where, like okay the solution is like driving the business uh, um, um um behind an al or Krogos uh in the u.s absolutely and, and
1: and and beyond that you no know, we we see we just we don't really see limit to the opportunity um okay. you know grocery re- grocery is half of the mark half of the retail market, and we've got half of the retail market to go after
0: grocery is half of the retail market so if you like all categories about, together gro-
1: Grocery, if you take it globally, is about
0: forty. I think forty.
1: I'm going to to hedge on my numbers. Forty to forty-five percent of of retail worldwide.
0: Maybe not in Germany because people don't spend too much on grocery, but uh, maybe for the UK. Um,
1: Oh, that's global. It's globally, and actually, you know, the more developed the market, is a slightly lower proportion. But it is, you know, globally, it's forty plus percent of the market. So we really don't see. We really no, don't see limit to the opportunity within
0: our within our expected like uh, uh, managers' lifetimes. Uh, there's uh, it's going to be a gross market, um, I guess. So.
1: It's certainly beyond my lifetime.
0: Okay, Richard, thank you for your time.
1: Pleasure. We'll speak to you soon.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to rate this episode on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever tool you're using to listen to podcast. And tune in again next week.